Hello everyone. If you want to jump ahead to the topic, skip ahead three minutes or so. Otherwise, here's some admin stuff for you to enjoy. This recording session is taking place on the Triumph of the Cross, a great feast of the church. Not a solemnity though, so no solemn high pod today. Um, I do want to note that one alternate name for this feast is Rudemus, because that's a funny name. So if you want an excuse to be uh, rude, at least in a joking way, don't be rude in an actual way, there you have it. I will go ahead and spoil that a bit by pointing out that that's rude, R-O-O-D. That's an older way of referring to the cross. This feast basically celebrates the finding of the true cross by Constantine's mother, St. Helena. This reminds me that I should probably note that we are coming to an end with our Sunday summaries. I've got what you might call a uh, mega summary, or perhaps just me going over word count coming up on Sunday, and it will be evident why once you start listening to that. Still a pretty brisk pace, though, for what it is. After that mega summary, there'll be one more Sunday summary on the Hasmoneans and the Herodians, and then we are going to be setting aside our epitome project for a while. I want to have the Solemn High Pods finish the rosary-themed tour of the New Testament before I start epitomizing it. It's best to finish a project before you try to summarize it. So those will come back, but for now, we'll be moving on to other things in our Sunday series. We're not going to be doing the Solemnity series I teased just yet, because I think it's going to be good to zoom in from a higher perspective. I want to kind of have a high-level overview of kind of fundamentally what Catholicism is in terms of its place in the overall world of religion, spirituality, and philosophy. I also want to take a look at the different sui juris churches, some of the patriarchal sees, and then we'll see the most relevant religious orders for the purposes of talking about cardinals. That way we've got something to refer back to for all that stuff as it comes up. Of course, the real reason I have this intro here is because I do want to note that Jiminy, our cricket friend, is back. He's still with us. I think he'll be with us for the duration in terms of his lifespan. I don't know what that is for a cricket like him, but uh, I don't expect another generation, despite what I'm going to call his uh, repeated and constant attempts to uh, encourage another generation. He's here for a good time, not for a long time. And while I'm going to try and edit him out, at the end of the day, he will continue doing his thing in the background as we go until he doesn't. I also have the dryer running, because why wouldn't I have the dryer running for a recording session? Multitasking. Woo! Fair enough. Alright, let's go. This is a popular, popular podcast. Do not be afraid. Welcome to Popular History, a library of Catholic knowledge and insights brought to you daily. My name is Greg. And this is the 15th installment in our 21-part series, covering all the 21 new cardinals announced by Pope Francis during his Sunday Angelus on July 9th. The consistory will take place on Saturday, September 30th. Stephen Chow Saoyan was born on August 7, 1959, in Hong Kong, which was at the time a British colony, but which was historically part of China, and which is now part of China again, though it's one of their special administrative regions, as we'll discuss, and one with a rebellious streak at that. 
I don't want to make my coverage of the Hong Konger Cardinals to be all about the relationship between China and Hong Kong, but it is a dominating topic, and it's going to get some airtime during my discussions of all three of them. So this will be a bit of a long one. And you heard me right. Right now, there are three living cardinals who are, or were, bishops of Hong Kong. That compares to the exactly zero living cardinals tied to any of the other 145 ecclesiastical jurisdictions in China, including 20 archdioceses. Heck, including Hong Kong's own archdiocese, Guangzhou. So why is this random diocese in China getting all the love? Well, it's because of what I already mentioned, and I'm trying to not get too bogged down talking about. Hong Kong's partially independent history. At least, you know, independent from China. Hong Kong Island was formerly split off from China and ceded to the British Empire as a colony in the 1840s. More territory was added over time, much of it falling under a 99-year lease done in 1898. Fast forward to 1997 and the end of that lease. The British Empire was no more, and Hong Kong Island itself was not able to really thrive as a colony in a post-colonial world without the rest of Hong Kong, the portions that now had to be returned to China per the 1898 lease. So, for stability, all of Hong Kong was ceded back to China. During the time frame of the lease, China underwent a lot of changes, to put it mildly. Most fundamentally, when it went from a punching bag for colonial powers to a confident world power, which, really, is more its normal self. It just had a hundred-odd-year rough patch. They also kicked out the emperor, which has surprisingly little impact on the overall situation today because a strong central government that likes to manage things is still in vogue. Such governments tend to butt heads with the Catholic Church, at least until some sort of mutually beneficial arrangement can be made. Now, this isn't particularly a question of fundamental freedom of religion. China, like most modern nations, has freedom of religion officially built into its constitution. Since the early days of state communism in China, Chinese Catholics have been officially free to practice their religion through the Catholic Patriotic Association, or CPA, which is officially committed to establishing a new Catholic Church, free of all imperial influences. Note that the idea of a new Catholic Church implies the existence of an old Catholic Church, and those 145 Catholic jurisdictions in China I mentioned earlier were mostly all around at this point. But the CPA has tended to interpret the Vatican's tradition of appointing the Catholic bishops in a given country as one of the imperial influences that they're committed to rejecting. So, you can see how that's an issue here. Like I mentioned, Hong Kong was not a part of China when this was all going down. And even after the lease ran out, as part of the terms of the handover, Hong Kong still has special status for 50 years, which, in a nutshell, means their Catholic bishops have not had to deal with the CPA situation. Yet, which is why Hong Kong's bishops have been a popular choice for cardinal status, even though Hong Kong itself is officially just another diocese. Okay, so let's leave all that there as background scenery and get back to Cardinal Chow. Though he was born in Hong Kong, like I mentioned, he didn't stay there, studying in the USA and Ireland, and winding up with not only a master's in psychology and a licentiate in philosophy, but also 
starting his entry into the Jesuits along the way. As you might recall, Jesuits tend to spend quite a while in study, generally getting ordained later in the process. Stephen took these tendencies and ran with them. After taking an extra five or so extra years of theological training after the advanced degrees I already described, Stephen Chow was nearly 35 when he was ordained, and he took his final vows as a Jesuit in 2007, at the age of 47. Of course, Father Chow wasn't just sitting around in the dozen years between. He got yet another master's, this time in organizational development, and then a doctorate in human development and psychology from Harvard. Yes, that Harvard. Father Chow soon made his way back to Hong Kong, serving as supervisor of two colleges simultaneously, because supervising one college at a time apparently isn't challenging enough. He held those posts from 2007 to 2021. So keep in mind he's supervising those two colleges, while he also served as the formator of Jesuits from 2009 to 2017, and as a part-time teacher at a local seminary starting in 2012, and as provincial consultor for the Jesuits from 2013 to 2017, and as provincial of the Chinese province of the Jesuits, and really, much more even beyond that. But this is already going to be my longest one yet, and you get the idea. In 2019, the Bishop of Hong Kong died, and at some point after that, Father Chow got word that he was being appointed as his successor. By Father Chow's account, he declined the post, noting that it should probably go to a diocesan priest rather than a member of a religious order like himself. The fact that he was able to do this quietly, and before things went public, suggests that it was handled differently than many of the elevations we discuss, because multiple times I've come across a cleric learning they've been selected as a cardinal by friends who saw it on the news. In the end, Father Chow didn't get his way. Jesuits, like all full-fledged members of the various religious orders, commit to following the evangelical councils. That is, poverty, chastity, and, most relevant now, obedience. Those were the final vows I mentioned. In the particular case of the Jesuits, there's also an optional fourth vow, which I don't know whether Stephen Chow took, but which would certainly apply here if he did. A vow of obedience to the Pope with regard to the Jesuit missions. And yes, both that vow and Jesuit missions to China go back to the first generation of the Jesuits in the 16th century. Either way, his vow of obedience itself would have been sufficient, because, rather than accepting Father Chow's objection, Pope Francis apparently hand-wrote him a note that supported his appointment as Bishop of Hong Kong. Father Chow relented and became Bishop-elect Chow, and, after more than two years of vacancy, the Diocese of Hong Kong had a bishop again. During the Sede Vacante, vacancy, something significant happened in Hong Kong. Namely, the Chinese government enacted a new security law, effective immediately, that, in a nutshell, can make any pushback on the integration of Hong Kong into China a crime. You see, with the special administrative status having that 50-year lifespan according to the treaty terms, well, in a nutshell, in 2047, China will be free to treat Hong Kong like any other part of their territory, which, in fairness, is generally how sovereign states operate with regard to their own territory. 
But with the special administrative status, China has temporarily committed to a one-country, two-systems model, allowing much more democracy and freedoms in Hong Kong, including, for example, allowing the Catholic Church to treat Hong Kong as a normal diocese where they can appoint their own bishops without government interference. The new security law seems to be paving the way for the eventual removal of that difference in approaches, which, I mean, is what you'd expect in terms of long-term planning, but it's not like Hong Kongers have had much of a choice in the matter, and there has certainly been pushback. It's a contentious issue, to say the least. Bishop Chow, for his part, seems to be much more open than his predecessors had been to the integration of Hong Kong into China as a whole. He has encouraged Hong Kongers to develop a sense of national patriotism, which would not be a controversial statement for, say, a U.S. bishop to make to his flock. He has also visited Beijing, China's capital, something which no Hong Kong bishop had done since the handover. And after Pope Francis named him among the new cardinals, Cardinal Lek Chow had the following to say, quote, I think the appointment as a cardinal will strengthen the role of the Catholic Church in Hong Kong as a bridging church to promote exchanges and interactions between mainland China and the Universal Church. End quote. Once he is officially elevated on September 30th, Cardinal Chow will be eligible to vote in future conclaves until he turns 80 in 2039. That's enough for today. There's plenty more to discuss about the Cardinal-elect, and we may well get another longer format episode on him down the line, as this episode is part of Cardinal Numbers, our ongoing series where we discuss and eventually rate and rank all the Cardinals of the Catholic Church. Thank you for listening. God bless you all.